Okay. Um, yeah. Welcome back. Hey, um, this is episode 10, and we have Inez Carrasquillo. I know it's supposed to be a rolled R. I'm really bad at those. Um, yeah. How are you all doing like today? Burrito, man. Burrito. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I can try. It's kind of like our holiday greeting. I'm just really not good on the spot. I'm trying real hard. But um, yeah, our guest today is Inez. And she it was an accomplished powerlifter, turned pro strong woman. She's getting ready to do just announced with the Arnold Strong Woman Classic. This year, she was the third strongest woman in the world. She's won a lot of um, competitions and has a lot lined up next year. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. You make me sound so much cooler than what I really am. <laughs> no, you look, you are really cool. I was going through everything and I was really impressed trying to like watch all your competitions, get ready for everything. And it's really impressive to see, like watching you do the sandbag run at like OFB and everything. That it's last good. bag almost took the soul out of me. Oh yeah, no sandbags, like they're crushing you and you can't get your breath and you just have to keep playing. Yep, I was like a full L with my back. <laughs> yeah, no, I that was super impressive. Everything. Oh, yeah. We're so, always our own worst critics too. Um, you probably, everybody else is impressed and then you're just like, I do the same thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of meh, I'm okay. <laughs> but Listen, yeah, we're always, we're always our worst critic. But yeah, no, I'm very impressed as well with um, with your your performances and your log press is insane. Um, and I think, you know, we probably have some questions for that coming up, but um We'll hold off. I think typically what we've been doing is trivia. Um, John, I, you're going to yeah. take the lead on that too. I, yeah. I hope today, since I'm, yeah, you know, every everybody can know that I'm running late and I'm kind of crashing the party today. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So you're down for trivia, ready for. Yeah. Got to do trivia. We we got to know if you know your shit, Nez. Yeah. So what year was the first World's Strongest Woman held? Oh, no. 19-something. Yeah, you're very close. It's <laughs> the late 90s. Uh, 95. Almost. 97. It was oh, won okay. by Michelle Sorensen. Yeah, it was a good guess. And it throws things off because I actually didn't have it hold it until 2001 after that. So there's a long break. Um, another question. So who was the first woman to lift the Denny Stones? Was it Chloe? Oh, so that that actually is the answer to the other one. She's the lightest woman to ever do it. Ah. Uh, first woman to ever do it was Jan Todd. Okay. She... Yeah, she was super. Dan Todd, wife of of everybody's beloved Terry Todd. Yeah, who, commissioner who of power. Was the, who was the creator of the uh, and promoter of the Arnold Strongman Classic? Yeah, and then our last one was 
So who won the most World Strongest Woman titles? Do you know this one? Is it Donna Moore? Uh, no, it is Anita Florczyk. So no. I don't know Polish and I'm bad at pronunciation, but Florczyk is pretty <laughs> close. I think Donna Moore is the second. So I think Anita has yeah. four titles and Donna has three. Three, I believe, yeah. Yeah. What was it like being able to compete alongside her at World's Strongest Nation? She is the sweetest lady you'll ever meet. And she's super encouraging and she's hilarious. So it was just fun. We weren't super competitive, you know, back there. We were just like helping each other. And it wasn't like, oh man, we're against the UK. Like we're going to kill them or, you know what I mean? So everyone was just super supportive. And being next to Donna though, is just like an honor because she was, I watched the OSG in 2019 and that was the first competition I've ever watched in Strong Woman. And I was like, oh my God, she is the coolest person I think I've ever watched. And Andrea Thompson and everybody else that competed that year. So loved it. Yeah. No, that, and yeah, that also leads to another question. What was it like to actually be able to go head to head with Andrea Thompson with Log? It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Was absolutely terrifying because she's the current world record holder and it was we have such different techniques and we're so different at how we press the log but we're very like similar like with weights and how many reps and stuff like that that we do um but it was just like i get to go head to head with the best in the world at something and something i strive to do i get an opportunity to hit a, a world record this weekend so a world, new world record might fall. Nice. That's that was sad. one of my questions. If there was a, if there was a world record coming up, um, so it's this Saturday. This is it the seventeenth. Uh, so log will be Friday. So Friday. it'll be okay. the 16th. yep. Sixteenth. And where is that? Where is that happening in? In Vegas at the Olympia. Oh, nice. Heck yeah. That's so. What's awesome. uh, what's the goal? for, I mean, obviously beating the, the world record, but do you have uh, a number in mind? So the jumps are already set. So I have to hit 300, then I can go 315. Nice. So it'll, it'll chip it by seven pounds. Right, okay. As someone who likes good, like, to, for things to be beaten by more than one kilo, that, that satisfies me. <laughs> I'm like, that's John is adamant that it has to be more than one kilo. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much. If it can be more than five pounds, like that's all I ask. Is like, because I think sometimes it's one of those things. Like, there's so much variability, and it's nice to have like a clear record there and everything. How are you feeling though with how? Because you did you did OSG, you did World Strongest Nation, and then leading up to this, how's everything feeling? Pretty beat up, you know. I. I've been through hell. OSG was the longest competition I've ever been in. Every day was like 12 hours long because we went from three days to two days with almost 400 something athletes. So it took all day. We were there from 8 a.m. to like 11.45 p.m. on the first day. So that was a Saturday. And then Sunday was 8 a.m. to like 9.30 p.m. Uh, we went to, and that was just with the final 10 because the men had to do their sandbag to shoulder uh, first. So we didn't even start till like one o'clock that day. And we wow. were just sitting there waiting because we had to get yoke heights um, at 8 a.m. to get prepared for that event. 
So it was so exhausting. And I remember coming home and I was so sick just because like the travel and like that competition was so rough. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, I got to go to the UK and fly again and do World's Strongest Nation. So I know I wasn't at my best for World's Strongest Nation, but I do feel better now going to ASW. Uh, the events are a lot better for me. There's no <laughs> straight bar deadlift, which is great because I'm the worst deadlifter in the strong woman world right now. And, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the events are just so much better for me. And um, I'm pretty excited that it's at the Olympia because I've never been to Vegas either. Yeah, nice. You know, something you always find, and I mean, I, I can't comment as much on strong women, but I know strong men. Um, the ones that have the, the best overhead presses can sometimes get away with a weaker deadlift and still, still come out on the top. So big deadlifts don't always get you big points in strong men, which is, is surprising, but um, kind of how the cards play a lot. So probably not such a bad, if you're going to have a weakness, if you're going to have a weakness, probably not a bad one to have. Yeah, it's, it's been a challenge. I have really short arms, which is why I'm a good presser and like extremely long legs. I'm six, one and a half. So pretty big. Yeah, that's, that's great. You're taller than I am. <laughs> and I think I'm taller than John. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm 5'9". King of the, <laughs> King of the short games. <laughs> right there. At the top. Like, so, so with OSG, um, I guess I haven't really talked to a lot of people about like the rescheduling. Did they not? Um, Cause I know they had schedules before, you know, before the uh, hurricane flew in, came in and they had to delay, they had um, all the weight classes, men and women kind of scheduled for each event. Did that kind of end up kind of going away because they had to cram into two days? Yeah, they had set times for everything, but just due to, you know, changing heights, changing weights and, resetting it took forever and yeah it was it they did the best that they could they ended up changing a lot of the events too especially with the times so we right. went from like one minute to 45 seconds you know we had 75 seconds for the sandbag but then it ended up being 45 seconds so it cut it down Ooh. by 30 seconds yeah finish wow but I mean, still better than canceling the whole show, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Lynn I mean they really job. came. They really came, uh, you know, and made things happen in a really tough, tough scenario. So I mean, bravo to you know Lynn and his team for doing making that happen. And the weight cuts too. The weigh-ins were great. They went great for everybody. I was in a house with two people that had to um, do weigh-ins. I'm an open athlete. I don't have to do that, but I had to watch my team members and they really appreciated that they could take a video, you know, weigh themselves in the comfort of the place they were staying. We yeah. didn't have to wait another day. They didn't have to like, they had two days to like refuel, which was nice for them. So sure. they did a really good job with that. Yeah. Extending, extenuating circumstances. I mean, that was, I think that was absolutely the right call. Um, you know, in, in, in regular competition, I wouldn't want to see that. But in those circumstances, that was definitely the right call so that nobody was, you know, starving to death and dying for two days. That would have been brutal, man. So uh, with a show that long, how do you stay, like, hydrated and fueled throughout that? Because 12 hours is a long time to be on your feet and, like, engaged or, like, in the zone. Or did you take breaks in between to, to kind of, like, calm down a bit? 
Yeah, we always say it's like 12 hours a day, but like four minutes of work. So um, it's just a lot of carb loading and liquid IV and basically napping as much as you can in between events. You'll see us laying under the tables, you know, with headphones on trying to like cancel out the noise um, because you'll have like three and a half hours in between each event. So you're just chilling and you got to calm down after the event because you don't want to stay super hype and then have to wait for three and a half hours and try to get that hype back up. That was my problem with stones. I was just like, I just want to get this over with. I don't even want to do this event right now. <laughs> I'm sure by the end of, I mean, the end of two long days, um, I mean, going into stones, I'd probably just be totally exhausting. I mean, in itself, just, just, getting trying to hype back up for it after all that time and then and then having to finish it i can empathize with the <laughs> with uh your kind of your thought process there of just i don't even want to do this anymore because i've done those long shows and they're tough they're really yeah, tough i've never seen so many people hitting ammonia at the same time back there trying to like wake up yeah <laughs> just like pass it around <laughs> that's awesome yeah Oh, I think overall it was a really impressive show and stuff. And I think like those notes people were talking about of like the attention that um, Del Spiegel got doing the 250 pound sandbag to her shoulder and then to watch like a ton of women do similar feats of strength and everything. It's really impressive to see how those shows happen and like just seeing the weights they go up and everything was really impressive to like see all that and be able to like see what people could do especially given the circumstances of like but with a really long day to still be able to do those things is impressive so yeah and if you didn't watch the live stream like you would have no idea that there were three and a half hours in between each event because you see the recaps on instagram and it's like oh they just did a few events but you don't know what goes on like behind the scenes of these competitions how did so how did how did World Strongest Nation run comparatively uh, to OSG? It was like two and a half, three hours. It was very short. Yeah, because huh. it went as soon as the event was over with. They it's a production, so they were like fifteen minutes right. warm up, get out there, let's go. Um, because it was televised too, so like right. it wasn't much. Like I wouldn't even call it a competition. It was more of just like it was like a TV production. And like, it was like a sporting event. It was kind of like insane just to see how many people were in the stands compared to official strongman games or maybe 50 people in the stands versus thousands of people. And they came because they loved the sport. They didn't come like just for family and friends. It was like, these people are like super fans of the sport. Right. Yeah, they, uh, strongman's different in Europe um i've noticed that even competing overseas is that um yeah people actually appreciate the sport like the united states is you know i mean we got a lot of fans i think here but um they're different in in europe by all means um and it's awesome it's awesome to compete in front of i've never been in front of probably as big of a crowd as you had there but um being in front of a big crowd is is amazing the energy the noise it was yeah. The walkout was so much fun because it like you didn't know how many people. I didn't know how many people were out there until I did like 
the first walkout and I was just like, holy shit, there are so many people here. And did they it was, say how many it was total? Uh, they sold, they almost sold out of the arena. So, so like 20,000, 30,000, something like that. It was, it was probably 10,000 people wow. there. Yeah. That is insane. What do, so how does that compare? Like, do you, are you, cause I know some people feed off of like huge crowds and other people can add like another element of anxiety. So overall you felt that it was a good experience being in front of a large crowd like that. Was it? Um, yeah, it was scary at first. Um, but as soon as like the event started going, it was a lot better. Um, and I feel like they helped hype us up so much. Like a lot of the events were like for holds and grip. So it was like, you have people cheering at you, telling you not to drop it. And it was like, I'm not dropping this in front of everybody. Like, I want to continue going because they're cheering you on. And yeah, the hype is super helpful. Because well, seeing, what was it? Gabby Dixon doing the Hercules hold and like watching her feed off the energy of the crowd. And everyone was blown away when she beat Martins and Kevin Fares. It was like really impressive to like watch people go back to back with the same weight be able to go toe to toe yeah she's my teammate so give her a shout out uh she's like my other half and uh super impressive i love that she's like the cover of like everything now which is her and the hercules hold i think it's awesome yeah the energy there is great everything so um what so you said it's a good environment of very much like camaraderie and everything competing with these people and everything like it's more like teammates like was it different having teammates versus people you go head to head with like at OSD yeah I think having a team it made it more of like a fun dynamic it wasn't like everyone's going head to head it was like we're together as a group and we have to like take care of each other kind of thing and Martins was such a good captain I've never met him before until this and he's like a huge, big puppy dog. Like he's so sweet. And it was just like awesome to meet him, never meeting like a professional strongman before, like at his level and just getting to be on his team and, you know, him patting you on the back saying you did a good job and you're like, wipe the tear away. Like, thank you. <laughs> oh, he's such a nice guy. Like I was impressed when he came and like said hello to everyone after the Rogue Invitational and was like, super genuine especially with like a torn bicep i don't know how energetic i could be at that point and part of me would just want to go home and ice things and it was nice of like seeing him so did you get to spend much time hanging out with people outside of the competition or how long did you have with everyone yeah so i i flew in on that wednesday i believe so i was there thursday friday um got to do a little touristy stuff you know liverpool did the beatles tour all that fun stuff and, um, and we were all together in the hotel. So like we ate breakfast together. Um, we had dinners together. So we were pretty much, you know, spending a lot of time with each other. That's awesome. So um, how are you feeling about the announcement of the Arnold Strongwoman Classic? Super nervous. I'm very excited though. Um, the events are very interesting that Stone Throw is going to be super interesting, I think. And um, the Max Elephant Bar, I'm like, 
I knew that was coming because Tamara was invited and she's going to blow it out of the water. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think they're good events. I'm surprised there's five events. I think they always do five. Um, I wish there were six because it kind of helps out with like points and stuff, but uh, five events would be good. Well, that's exciting. The stone press, all these random stone things I've started doing with stone overhead pressing and stone throwing. I don't know how I do with something like that. It's like such an odd movement comparatively. Like, how do you train something like that? I guess do you just throw stones. Just find a stone and practice throwing it. <laughs> That's the nice thing about natural stones. Is like, you don't need to spend anything, any money on on special equipment. I mean, sometimes you know the shape of the stone may have some impact, but um, yes, picking up stones is always fun. You just do that anywhere. Yeah, we were talking earlier off camera. You were talking about how fun it was to actually have like the replica of the Hoosfell stone at Beerstone and everything. Do you have anything like that that you train with, or do you? I know some people collect stones or anything. Do you have stuff like that that you'd like to set aside? Um, I don't really have much training equipment. Like I make like do with what I have. Um, the gym that I go to, we're starting to build up the strongman side more and more, you know, every week. So I just bought a new pit log. We're trying to get an adjustable platform because right now the only Atlas stone thing we could do is over bar. And I think it's completely different than to platform. Um, so it'll be nice to have stuff to actually practice on. Um, uh, my friend Evan in Indiana, um, he owns a gym called Ileana Power Asylum. He knows he has like a lot of resources. He made a Viking press um, attachment for the power rack. So I was able to practice Viking press for OSG. And he texted me and he was like, hey, when you know how much the stone's gonna let me know, cause I'll get you a stone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, you crushed that Viking press and everything like overhead. That was impressive to see everything. Just being able to rep out like 16 reps pretty intense and they get third place it's crazy that more reps were done it's absolutely insane that's what blew my mind because i'm like watching so many other people do it i was like 16 like that's in the bag and then you had people to somehow get 22 which how what was the exact time limit on that one again 60 the, seconds okay so they didn't shorten it down yeah long. that but it's still like yeah 60 seconds that's still to get double digits on anything especially high double digits like that is really impressive um so with your pressing how did you get to the point of being able to be so explosive with like the olympic style lifting all this because watching you of like going head to head with andrea thompson like you clearly have that explosive background yeah so i actually didn't start split jerking until last I think it was 2021 beginning of it. I was in an off season and my coach was like, Hey, we're going to learn how to split jerk. My coach is in a, he's a weightlifter and he coaches weightlifting as well. Um, if you don't know my coach, his name is Alec Jose and he is great. We learned how to split jerk over FaceTime. So uh, he was like, if you're going to hit world records, you're going to have to learn how to use your legs and, you know, split jerk. I caught on pretty quick. And um, we used to split jerk in high school when I played volleyball. 
in college, but it was the ugliest form ever. And I would never count that as actually split jerking. Um, but yeah, so we learned how to use my legs and got short arms. So it all worked out. Well, that's, that's super impressive. Cause in my mind, once you said you only started doing it last year, I was like, so you obviously have some background in Olympic lifting, but volleyball is not quite the same. It's like starfish cleans. And then like, like you said, ugly. Yes. So. Don't get me wrong. That's still how I clean. I cannot clean unless it's a belt clean. Don't ask me to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with that height though, I mean, that's a, that's a huge way to travel. Like watching you doing the 315 sandbag over bar, like it's crazy to realize just how tall you are in the range of motion, which is nice for an event like that. But having to clean movement, like you have to get the weight up higher than most people do just to and get I could, it. To... Yeah, and I could barely get my arms around the bigger sandbags. So I'm like gripping onto it for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really crazy and everything. So, um, what made you move from powerlifting over to strongman? I know you've talked about it before. It's always interesting to hear. I got bored. Powerlifting just got boring. Um, squat, bench, deadlift every week. It was super repetitive. And I hit a total that I was happy with at one of my competitions. And I said, I want to try something new. And everyone at my gym was like, you should do strongwoman. Like, join us over here on Sunday and you see, like, if you like it. I ended up falling in love with it. And then my coach, he reached out to me on Instagram and was like, Hey, like, do you want to switch over for real? Because I want to coach you. And that's when I had to make a decision if I wanted to power lift or do strong woman, because I can't do both. I, I don't think I'd be great at doing both. Um, just because like I weighed so much more in powerlifting than I do now. And statically, I'm not as strong as I was when I was powerlifting. So I don't think I could, you know, toggle between the two um so yeah i switched over and i never went back wow because darren and i have actually talked about that because i always wonder sometimes how some power lifters like jamal brown or something would do transferring to the sport but like you said it's a really different form of lifting like it's one thing to be able to sit in one place and just do that like singular plane of motion but to have to like running with like the farmers carrying everything is a much different thing. Which, by the way, your frame lift was amazing. That six hundred pound one looking really easy. I was like, oh, yeah, I was. We're, I'm worried about that one at uh, ASW. It's 400, 500, 600 for reps. So oh, probably. Wow. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like after seeing the six hundred, you could probably do more. The nice but, thing about frame though is it's more of a squat than a deadlift. That's, that's why it's so much better for me. And I'm so happy it's that instead of a regular deadlift. Right. No. So you should do very well. I hope there's six of us. So the points aren't going to be like super dramatic. So of any mistake, you know, that could cost you a podium spot. Sure. That makes sense. So um, that's one thing that I, I was interested in. We were talking to just recently announced that we were sponsoring Angela Highfield. And she was saying it's kind of hard sometimes to find as a super heavyweight, trying to find shows that have enough athletes and everything. Did you experience anything like that, trying to find those like shows where you have enough people in your class to even get like substantial points? Yeah, so my first two competitions, there are only two other heavyweights. So 
um, luckily back then they had platinum plus meat. Uh, so you can get an Arnold invite with like five people signed up. So that's how I got my Arnold invite and COVID canceled it that one year. So that's why this year I was at the Arnold. Um, but it's rough when there's only three of you and it's hard to like, you know, get into it because there's not a lot of people around you and not a lot of people in your weight class. So it can be a little discouraging because if you don't see the bigger picture of, you know, you move up in the ranks and there's like, there was what this year, 30 of us in the open. Um, it's just like, that's the encouragement that people need to see. And that's how you get more people to sign up for local meets where then they're going to nationals and then they're going to the Arnold and then they're, you know, official strongman games and so on. I think that exposure is super important because we've talked about it before. Like, you have way too many men doing novice, and then there's not enough women doing like the heavier weight classes a lot of times. So I think that's super important. Um, so is that, do you see that with strong women too? Um, doing like a, most most doing novice in the lower levels. I mean, did you experience that on your climb up to OSG? Um, so I only did two two local-ish meets and then uh I did the pro-ams so it was not it was both open they didn't do novice because we wanted to try to get someone to go to nationals so they actually moved up from novice to open because they wanted they basically wanted to help out somebody to get somebody to nationals um so sometimes the you know the commodity like we got together we're like hey if you know, all of us agree someone's going to get an Arnold invite. So that's how, you know, we could work with each other and, you know, help each other out. Some it's Sometimes it's, it's good to take one for the team, right? Yeah. It's good to get experience too. Like if, yeah, sure. if you never zero an event, what fun is that? Because then it's like you can't get better if you're not zeroing stuff because that's what you need to work on, you know? Exactly. Yes. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, yeah. What's fun is it to go and and you know we see a lot of shows. Or I've seen a lot of shows and at local comps that you know everybody's getting like double digits on every single event. It's like you know clearly it's too light. <laughs> yes, and it's it's like go to the open and you know try it out there. You know because that's that's where you're going to be able to move up. If you just stay a novice, you know. Right. There's really nowhere to go from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've talked about that on uh, early in early episodes about uh, how how we would like to see more promoters pushing people up out of that novice and into the open. I mean, to fill the ranks, but also to encourage everybody to improve and get better. Because um, you're right. Yeah, staying a novice is kind of a dead end road. Yeah. So uh, what are ways you could see of trying to promote the sport more for like women, but people overall of like, what's kind of inspired you or what are ways you think you could bring more people to the sport? Yeah. So um, at my gym, we're going to start doing more like seminar type things where we educate people about the sport because some people think it's just picking up rocks and throwing stuff over our heads, but it's like, there are so many events and so many different meets. There's so much more money in the sport when you start getting to bigger levels. Like you can do a pro-am as an amateur. You don't need a pro card 
And the prize money this year for every pro-am that I did was $7,000 for first place. And it's like, you can just test out your strength and go into something like that and potentially win, you know, a lot of money. Um, and then I'm also doing a seminar in Michigan in January. Um, so just like finding gyms, local gyms that have equipment and saying, hey, can I run a seminar here and, you know, teach some people how to log press or, you know, do something on stone lifting. You guys have some stones and there's dust on them because no one knows how to, no one knows how to pick them up. So it's like just educating people about the sport and making it not so scary because it could be really intimidating to watch, you know, world's strongest man. And they're thinking like, Oh my God, that log is twice the size of me. Like I'm going to have to do that. I'm not doing that. Um, but showing them that it's not so scary and that there's so many levels to the sport that you can get into. And there's, a lot of growth that you can do within the sport. I think that's good overall. Like, I think having that more relatable aspect, because I think we've talked about it before saying kind of that, that's typically the appeal of CrossFit is that it's much more relatable where people think maybe I could do that. But I think people don't always realize that like, there are a lot of super strong people out there, especially women who just don't always realize it of like listening to Andrea Thompson's story like she just didn't realize that that strength could take her anywhere and stuff because you don't even get to test it so i think providing those opportunities are really important and everything um so what are your goals for this next year or so as far as like your competitions but do you have like long-term goals of course like being world strongest woman ideally yes uh I got, I tied for third, my first, well, official strongman games, and then I got third. So I'm very consistent with third place. So hopefully uh, a win next year would be awesome. Long-term goal in this entire, my entire strongwoman career is to be the most decorated strongwoman in history. I want to be known as like, you know, when you hear Kristen Rhodes' name, you're like, that's a goat of strongwoman. I want people to be like, when I'm like 40 something years old, I want to hear like, she was like the best in her 20s, you know? She was the best in her 30s in her prime, that kind of stuff. And then next year, you know, hopefully, you know, winning the Arnold Pro would be awesome. That'll be, or just even podium because the stack of women, that roster is insane. So just to podium at the Arnold Pro would be a huge goal. would be a great goal um, of mine for next year. And then win as many pro-ams as I can because I need to make money. <laughs> That makes sense. No, I, that's good. That. It's an expensive sport. You gotta, gotta at least try to break even, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is my full time job right now. So really? I, yeah, I quit my job in September to basically spend more time doing this and spend more time with my son. Nice. So do you do you have endorsements and in, in, or sponsors or anything on the side that's that's helping out? Yes. So my sponsor Cerberus uh, Strength. USA is one of my sponsors. And then my other sponsor, Aria Athleisure, they help pay for my travel. Um, nice. Yeah, so I get help. I get a stipend, that kind of stuff. So that helps. And then um, just my earnings that I make from competitions, I have to budget it and work with what I got. Heck yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, that's really impressive to think about. I think as more money goes into the sport, making it so it's something you could do more. Because like, 
I was thinking about it re rationally once I realized when you're saying you weren't didn't have a full-time job right now, or this was your full-time job, realizing it would be hard to find any kind of job that could work with that schedule, being able to say, hey, I'm going to go halfway across the country, I'm going to Las Vegas for a long weekend. And they're like, didn't you just come back from Europe, <laughs> spending a week in Europe? So I think that's always good. And how do you balance traveling and everything with having a son? What's that like? Yeah, he usually comes with me. Um, so two out of the three competitions, uh, he is coming with me and he comes to the gym with me every day. Um, he hates it because he has to do homework at the gym, but he's like the gym kid. So people help him with his homework, that kind of stuff. Um, but I want him to be surrounded by people like me. You know what I mean? People that are doing powerlifting, strongman, just whatever they're doing in the gym and seeing that there's people in there, you know, like I'm not just doing this because I like doing it. Like I'm super serious about the sport and there's a lot of other serious people, you know, in the gym and I want him to be disciplined like that growing up because I didn't have that discipline growing up. Um, so it's, it's a good balance. He's in school and then we go to the gym and then um, at competitions, he usually has his Nintendo switch. So he doesn't get super bored. <laughs> and then he puts it down just when I'm going up and then he picks it right back up. No. Oh, I think that's good. When so you talked about not having as much discipline and stuff growing up. When did you realize that you wanted to really pursue like strength full time, or what made you get into lifting after not necessarily having as much discipline? Yeah, so after I had my child, um, when he was about two and a half, three, I was terribly depressed and I had binge eating disorder and. I got up to 330 pounds at my heaviest. And then that's when I was like, I need to join a gym because I'm not going to make it long enough to see my son graduate college or, you know, I can't even run around with him right now. And he's only three. So if I kept going, I can only imagine. And I never wanted him to have to take care of me because uh, I never wanted to be a burden on him. So I was like, one day I woke up and I was like, I'm going to the gym today. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to start going. And then I started at a commercial gym, just going in the morning before work. Um, just like I did like a push pull day, leg day. I was on bodybuilding.com looking up workouts to do stuff like that. And I was, I was getting really strong and I was like, okay, like maybe I'm going to join like a more local gym. So I was looking at local gyms in the area and Rockwell Barbell in Chicago popped up that was near my job. So I went in there and my previous coach, Matt Blankenberger, walks up to me and he goes, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm new to the gym. And he goes, okay, cool. He's like, if any other coach tries talking to you or poaching you, he's like, you let me know. And I was like, poaching me for what? And so he goes, you're going to power lift because you are perfect for power lifting. So then I was like, I don't know what that is, but like, it sounds like fun. And so then I started powerlifting at Rockwell and I was with my coach for about two and a half years. And then I fell in love with strength sports. No, oh, that makes sense. And it's impressive to see your journey of like realizing just at six foot two, I'll just round up because I feel like that's fair to round up at that size and everything. It's impressive to see just like your stature as an athlete and pulling that together and everything. Do you think your son's going to be tall like you? 
Does he have the tall genetics? He's six years old. And he's already four foot eight. He's going to be massive. That's I just awesome. have That's to make good. him less lanky. Yeah, he's very lanky. <laughs> <laughs> but half the was super lanky back in the college days, like seeing him in his basketball thing. So I think there's yeah. hope for the lanky guys once you fill out that frame. Because I think that's the most impressive thing is realizing that you have a really good frame for strong woman being able to do that combined with athleticism and everything makes a big difference. So um, like what was your first like really big lift that like when you knew like this was it and stuff? Did uh, you have like a moment where you're like, oh, like I'm real strong? So my first 500 pound squat was the moment where I was like, I am really strong. Like, this is awesome. And not knowing back then, this was in January of 2020. I actually had COVID during that time. And I didn't know because we didn't know what it was. And I was super sick, came to the gym. And I was like, I need to hit this squat because this is the only time my coach is going to let me do it. And so <laughs> I went in, I got my knees wrapped and I squatted 500 for the first time. That's and crazy. then uh, I, it was it wasn't fully to depth. I won't count it now, but back then I was like, no, that was totally fine. Gym lifts always count. That's what I, that's my, my philosophy anyway. Anybody that says that a gym lift doesn't count, like, yeah, I mean, you can say that about your own lift, but anybody criticizing somebody else and saying that gym lift doesn't count, like, doesn't matter. It's just a gym lift, right? So you gotta take unless, you gotta take your wins when you when you can get them. <laughs> unless you call it a world record, the damn is really gonna get record. on. <laughs> can't, call, like, can't call Jim Lewis world record. <laughs> not call a Jim Lewis a world record. But I mean, it's hard though. With at least for me in raps, it's really hard to know when you've hit depth, like especially with squatting, because there's so many times where you're like, I feel like my hamstrings touch my calves, and then you look back and you're like, mm, that might have been ninety degrees, possibly. <laughs> I always had to have someone like tell me up so then I knew when I could like come back up out of the hole when I hit I still have the USP national squat record I think because nobody wants to walk out more than 600 pounds and I do not blame them that was the scariest moment of my strength career was walking out 606 and I my friend Janelle she was like literally on the floor laying there and she literally yelled up every single squat attempt so I wouldn't like get called for depth that makes sense. No, that walking out, that's also really impressive to me. Just that alone to after having done like some equipped lifting and some power lifting, the monolift was like my best friend. But then you'd see occasionally there was one meet I saw last year where they last minute, the person who was supposed to bring monolift just didn't show up. And they told all the lifters suddenly they're like, oh, you're going to have to walk things out. And you could tell it's a lot of people on their faces suddenly you know, like uh, that feeling on your adductors that those three steps out before I'd you be get worried, out. Man. Now, a lot of people uh, speculated that that's why uh, Brandon Lilly tore his, like blew his patellas out because he walked that squat out when he's when he's used to squatting out of a mono. Yeah, no, the mono lift. It changes, it changes that dynamic in the, in the uh, rotation of your your knees and everything so that's kind of <laughs> i don't know if that's like a really awesome call for powerlifting but yeah world's strongest <laughs> adductors just that walk yeah. 
No, that, yeah. No, I can imagine. I'm like walking out any more than that. I was like, at least for me, any kind of walkout. I'm just not a fan of it. I love that just being able to just, you hear the arms swing out and then you're just like, you just go down and then hope you don't black out before someone says it up. Just that feeling of like that tunnel vision. But no, well, I think- too, Like there's so many variables and like you can't necessarily look down and see if your feet are perfect. And if you look at my video, my feet are completely in the wrong spot. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just like, this is so heavy. I just want to get this over with. So it's like the very, like you never ever have your feet in the same spot walking out. And that's another like injury risk right there. Yeah. And that, I think, I think you made a good move moving over to strong moment. Oh yeah. I think that's been, that's definitely, definitely a good. We're not, we're not biased on that or anything. <laughs> so with speaking of that um what do you do to try to like avoid entry do you have like a routine or like things you focus on to try to minimize that risk of entry especially with the weights like that high yeah um i train five days a week um and i have two rest days on my rest days i'm either getting massage like tissue work or i'm at my chiropractor shout out to dr jess she, uh, she's the best Cairo ever. She does all my soft tissue work. Um, she keeps me in one piece every week. Um, and just eating and sleeping. Eating is so important and I'm eating a lot. I have a nutritionist and I, you know, eat as much as I possibly can and follow the plan because if you're not eating or sleeping, that's the first step in recovery and injury prevention. And then also just not being a a hole in the gym. Um, you know, my coach does RP, and if it's RP nine, like don't make it RP ten, make it RP eleven, because no, you're gonna have to go up the next week anyways. So just knowing your limits and you know working with a coach that knows your limits, and they like a good coach will tell you like, hey, stop right there, don't go any higher, stay at that weight. Um, and having that is, you know, I think why I have not knocked on wood have been injured. Yeah, I was about to say, because it's really impressive to get to that level and not have something substantial happen as far as like biceps or things like that, which I think maybe having shorter arms, that's less risk on your biceps because you can't get them that far around anything to get them too engaged. <laughs> no, I think, um, no, that's really impressive. And so, what like leading up to a show or something like that what's your calorie intake like look like or how do you manage your diet like this week leading up to a big show like that yeah i don't really know how many calories i'm at oh yeah or not calories but like kind of meals kind of. yeah i basically stick with the same program we don't really change it up during the meat week and then we make a plan for meat day um what we're gonna do so like it's usually the typical rice crispy treats Uncrustables, you know, PB and J, and it's like super simple carbs. And then maybe in the middle of the meat, like having like the beef and rice, turkey rice, whatever you like you choose, and then continue to just eat simple carbs the rest of the day. Um, we don't really change up much because you know it's not good to change up stuff during the week um, of the meat. So it's pretty simple. 
It's nice. And I mean, one of our listeners asked, do you have any special like rituals or things you do kind of prepare mentally for it or like any superstitious things? Some people have like certain shoes they'll do or a certain thing they have to do before a big comp. Yes. Um, I have certain outfits that I wear for certain lifts. So I have a certain pair of leggings that I wear for deadlifts. I have a certain sports bra that I wear for, um, for upper body. Like, so every day, like at a comp, you'll see me bring like a bag of clothes and I change in between each one. I hate having to wear the comp shirt because I'm like, I don't want to wear this. I want to wear what I want to wear. Um, and then like the shoes and socks, I have different socks for each event too. So that's like my ritual. That makes sense. Kind of good mental separation and everything. As someone who's a good presser, what's your opinion of grip shirts? So we have very mixed feelings about that here. I usually don't train with a grip shirt um, because most competitions don't allow it. So I like to train how I'm going to compete. And if we get to use a grip shirt, awesome. And if not, you got to learn how to chalk up and, <laughs> you know, press it. So what do you guys think about it? I'm the same. Uh, I don't ever get to use them anymore. Um, you know, higher level shows just don't allow grip shirts or deadlift suits. Um, so yeah, I, and, and I, I don't like them really per se. Uh, I'm like you though. If, if, if they allow it, I'm going to wear it cause it's clearly an advantage, but I won't train in it. I'm, well, I might train a little bit cause log to me is a little, a little different to clean cause it sticks so much more. You know, there's no, cause like when I clean a log, there's a, just a little bit of slip to where it lands perfectly uh, in the rack position for me. But, but a grip shirt, like I usually, the first time I use it, I usually smash myself in the face because <laughs> it goes up so much easier. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be fine if there was no grip, grip stuff, but, but also strongman's for cheating. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm not, gonna, like, I'm not gonna cut, I'm not gonna yell at anybody if they use it. More power to. <laughs> no, I think. But it's I, like, sorry. I'm sorry. It's yeah. like knee sleeves or elbow sleeves or you know elbow wraps. You know you got soft belt over you know under your hard belt. You got. It's like what's the difference? You know what I mean? Like we're already adding. We look like cyborgs out there wearing all right. the equipment. So it's like what's the difference? Yeah, we always joke. Joke, John and I um about strongman and in like sumo lift, deadlift or or belt clean right there's so many people like oh my god that's cheating but then they're like head to toe and grip grip gear and yep. double please and double belts and tacky and it's like strongman's for cheating everybody's yeah. cheating i mean cheating in some way right they're taking advantage every advantage that, that you can and if it's not in the rules i mean technically it's a lot so yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of like, because at least for me doing powerlifting, for one, I get real anxious around crowds. So then like a competition is just kind of an intense thing. And then having to remember those cues, nothing's more frustrating than you miss it because like mentally you're just so done with the bench that you're like, it's locked out, you just rack it. And they're like, oh, you missed the rack command. So that perfect lift, that's not a perfect lift. But like that doesn't count. It's nice to have strong man where it's like, you get the weight above your head, like you look pretty stable. That's a good lift. It doesn't matter. A part of me wishes people would bring back the old days of like John Paul Singerson and other people with like 
resting the log on their head before they throw it up. I'm like, just those ridiculous lifts. I'm like, I like to see big numbers and the eccentric part of it. Do you, have you deadlifted in a deadlift suit? What's your opinion about that? Yeah, so at OSG last year, they allowed deadlift suits um, for the deadlift ladder. And I don't know, I messed that event up so bad. I forgot how to deadlift on the fourth bar that I've hit in the gym every single time I've done it. And it was just, it's so much easier to deadlift in a suit. Like it adds, it added maybe 50 pounds to my deadlift max, which is like huge advantage. Yeah, because I was hearing, yeah. Go ahead. Big Laws was talking about it at OSG, he was saying that in his mind, he'd prefer if you didn't have the suits because that way it makes it an even playing field because it's so hard to know like a multi-ply suit versus single ply. Those things of like can make a huge difference. But like you said, it does. it's nice to have that extra 50 pounds. It's but just that compression though. That's when it's allowed though. You go and get the, the strongest multi-ply suit that you can get because I mean, you, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you go buy the, the standard uh insert suit right for, for 40 bucks when everybody else is wearing the the orange metal you know multiply um so i mean the 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 advantages i think the the field is still fair for everybody you have the opportunity and the option to to use whatever you want but my my personal feeling and suits can be good and they can be bad they they're good for single single reps they're harder to move in they're harder to rep in um but yeah, I'm, I'm getting, if they're allowed, I'm going to wear it. <laughs> they sense. did allow briefs this year. Um, so that was the first time I've ever deadlifted in uh, briefs. How, how do you think it helped? Because I feel like the deadlift suit, I at least get the straps, but I'm like, the briefs I've always thought only helped if you're like doing sumo. Do you feel like it made a difference? I think mentally it did, because at first we thought we were able to use suits, and I did get a custom-made uh, metal suit and I was so sad when I found out we couldn't use them um, but I think mentally it was like oh I got some compression on like I'm gonna do better now and it was like a spud uh, you know the spud brand uh, it was like basically wearing a knee sleeve around my legs and it was just like compression so it didn't really do much but I hit eight reps which in the gym I only hit four so I think mentally it made me say like oh you could do more than this and it's going to be easier so a lot of it's mental honestly yeah no, I think a lot that's... of it's recovery too um you know i i kind of look at for myself and actually commented on on andrew's post andrew clayton's post recently you know i mean a lot of people ended up doing a lot i think people in general tend to do better in competition than they do in training you end up you take that entire week off most people do you're fully recovered um, you're fully hydrated. Your your diet's probably in check. You've been eating well. You're not burning any calories. Your body is primed and ready to do to perform at its best. And you know, me, I I I really look at that as you know evidence that full recovery is is so so very vital to to progress in the gym, right? Um, you know, I like to say that uh, weightlifting is the catalyst, but the gains are made in rest. Makes sense. I agree with that. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Um, 
I didn't know we are approaching the time, and I know you said your bedtime's around eight o'clock, so I want to be conscious of your bedtime. <laughs> Everything. Do you have any final thoughts? Bed at eight o'clock, this? Oh, yeah. That's, that's so early. <laughs> I, I watched like one episode of, right now it's American Horror Story. Uh, we started it over. So one episode and then lights out. That's you have awesome. to be consistent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in the morning, I, I imagine you get up bright and early in the morning and enjoy enjoy the uh, the quiet of the morning. I mean, I love early mornings myself, so that's awesome. Well, I have to get early and get myself ready before I wake my son up. Otherwise, I don't have a quiet moment until <laughs> he's in sure. school. So. Yeah, that's awesome. What time do you lift then usually with a bedtime like that? Because I know a lot of people don't like to train within like three or four hours of bedtime. Yeah, so it depends. Um, if it's going to be a long session, I'll just go during the day when he's in school. Um, but if it's like a deload week or something, I like to go at night because more people are there. And I like being around people um, at the gym. So we'll go. It's usually like he gets out at three. So like 3.30 to 5.30 at most for a deload week. Um, and then I have two and a half hours and I'm good. Makes sense. So you you like to keep it balanced then of like, or are you more a social lifter? I know some people like Andrew Clayton is very much like trained in solitude is where you get some of your best work done or do you prefer to be around people? Oh, I get my best work done around a bunch of people. Um, especially like my friend Dylan is a super hype man. Uh, and I like having people there to make sure I don't die either because sometimes I'm doing something sketchy like stone to shoulder, and it'd be nice to have someone to have 911 ready just in case <laughs> my legs give out and I collapse under an Atlas stone or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, don't do that. Just oh. don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I think that I'm still haunted by that one video of like, what was it? The world's strongest man. I forget which year or the guy, like, the, it just collapses on him when he's trying to get it on that's, the platform. That's Big Z. Big Z does yeah. that in like 2003 or four, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those huge things. That's one of my biggest fears, getting crushed by an Atlas stone, just like taking it to the chest. Yeah, well, he just bounced back up and just, and finished, I think. <laughs> and then, yeah, Nancy last year, uh, Nancy, no, this year, Nancy Johnson at the Arnold Amateur, a stone basically rolled over her face because uh, we were doing stone over bar and she like got up like it was nothing and she was like good to go. But that was so scary. We thought she got crushed under it just like yeah. old so it's really? like it could happen to anybody okay yeah nancy's a champ though watching her recovery from her leg like that that was also something that haunts me as far as like the most recent haunting video is that that yoke walk with the 700 pound car just like seeing that and to still be able to like place decently with not being able to finish the events was shows what a caliber of athlete nancy is and did she get fifth i believe yeah. She, yeah, yeah. So she pulled like a big Z of like not doing a portion of the events and still being up there, which is always impressive. And hopefully in the future it'll be big Ness. Like that'll be that'll be your <laughs> legacy. Just super decorated. You'll need to next time 20, we see you. Yeah. Twenty twenty three year year. Yeah. I think that'll hopefully. be good. Yeah. Hopefully at the end of the year. Next December, we'll get to interview you. You have a bunch more trophies behind you. Pull the Andrew Clayton or just a shelf full of just awards. 
You'll need a bigger house. This is, this is one of my trophies from Beerstone. It's an actual keg. That's Can awesome. you imagine trying to bring this on a plane? No. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't fit in any luggage. I just had to carry it. That's awesome. That's super impressive. But yeah, you have final thoughts, anything you'd like to leave the people with? Um, just do something you're afraid of and conquer it. Like every day, you know, I walk in the gym or whatever I'm doing and you just got to tell yourself like you could do it and just go for it. If you want to try powerlifting, if you want to try strongman, you want to be a CrossFitter, you want to Olympic lift or whatever you want to do, just do it. Don't tell yourself you want to do it. Just say you're going to do it. Um, like if I didn't tell myself I was going to go to the gym that day, I wouldn't be here today like talking to you guys so it just takes like that one step and you can make a huge difference in your life yeah yeah i think that makes a huge difference and thank you so much for reaching out to us like that i sent it to our group chat i was like ines like she just reached out to us and she wants to be on the show and uh all my friends that's the best way yeah the best way for everybody and that's how we end up with Cambi on the show um yeah people just reach out we're we're happy to, right. to bring bring any just about anybody on. So it was the name that caught my eye. And I was like, oh, it sounds spicy. I want to get on this. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking. We've we I think we've we've calmed down a little bit in the last few episodes. We need to we need to ramp it back up. <laughs> we need to get more controversial, John. That's true. We've been talking about possibly switching between trivia and doing the trash or treasure where we just like rip into supplements <laughs> that we don't like. That's going to happen. Yeah, it's like all those things, fat burners, whatever it is, everything. I think that makes a difference. Where, yeah. where can everybody find you, Ness? So on, I'm on, on YouTube. Yep, I'm on YouTube. You can just look up my name. I'm terrible at posting on there, but I'm trying to get better at posting on YouTube um, and Instagram. I am my Nez underscore pro strong woman. You can find me on Instagram, DM me, hit me up. Um, I love talking to people and meeting people. So I love my internet friends. And, you know, if you're ever in Chicago, come find me at Surge to New Levels and we can train together. Oh, I think that's really awesome. Sounds good. Well, it was a pleasure having you.